We are LP Magazine, and since 2001, we've been the leader in providing content and education for the loss prevention and asset protection industry, and we are known as the voice and authority of the LP community. Each episode, we'll be sharing and discussing the latest in trends and current issues related to all things retail and profit protection. You're listening to the LPM Podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. For an exercise in crisis response, my name is Kevin McMenamin. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for LP Magazine and LPM Media Group. And joining us today is an esteemed panel of crisis experts from across the industry. We're going to get to those introductions in just a moment. First, we've got to uh, thank our wonderful sponsors. Uh, Please visit and support our sponsors, without whom sessions like these would not be uh, possible. So starting with our folks, uh, friends at uh, Everbridge. Critical events cause business disruptions every day from operational disruptions like IT outages and supply chain disruptions to catastrophic man-made or natural events like active shooter and severe weather. Minimizing or even mitigating the impact of a critical event preventing unnecessary business disruptions while keeping your people safe is critical in maintaining business operations. Unfortunately, many organizations struggle to achieve this goal. This is where critical event management, CEM, comes into play. Learn more at everbridge.com. Next up, we have Defense Light, manufactured by Impact Security. Defense Light is a clear security shield that integrates forced entry protection seamlessly with existing doors, windows, storefronts, and curtain walls. This patented solution provides an invisible layer designed to protect retail businesses from impending harm, vandalism, and theft. Bullet Shield is the bullet-resistant version of Defense Light, and it has been independently tested to meet forced entry and UL752 ballistic standards. To learn more about Defense Light or to request a threat level assessment, visit defenselight.com. Third sponsor is Axon. The Axon suite of tasers, body-worn cameras, and secure cloud-based incident management platform ensure security professionals have a set of tools to effectively de-escalate crisis scenarios and capture crystal clear video documentation to negate false claims and avoid litigation. The Axon platform makes data management and sharing as simple as the click of a button. To find out more, visit axon.com. And last, but by no means least, Salient focuses exclusively on their open video data platform, CompleteView VMS, so that you can easily incorporate best of breed technologies that expand your surveillance capabilities Find out how Salient's platform can drive your business operations and with actionable video intelligence at salientsys.com. So S-A-L-I-E-N-T-S-Y-S So it's S-Y-S.com. And there we have it. Whew. <clears throat> Finally, we'd like to thank our education partner, uh, LPF, LP Foundation. Um, if you are joining us today and you are certified, you do qualify for attending today's webinar to get free CEU credits for your continuing education continuing education with the Loss Prevention Foundation. All right, well, that was a whole big mouthful. Um, <laughs> thanks everybody again for joining us. Uh, today, our panel, we've got um, a, a wonderful group of people here. Um, a couple of our friends from uh, Safe Passage, Tony Casper and Dustin Randall. Good afternoon, guys. Afternoon. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, all of their bios are online, so I'm not gonna go through in too much detail. We have Jeff Parton from the Home Depot. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Scott Sanford with GoPuff. Uh, Scott, wonderful to see you as well. You. And Tyler Huff. Tyler is with Walgreens. 
thank you for joining us today, Tyler. All right, so today we're gonna do a little exercise in crisis response, and uh, this isn't really a presentation, so I get to actually turn these slides off, um, but we're gonna walk through a few different scenarios to help you guys get uh, a, little, uh, a little education in the area of crisis response, crisis management, crisis mitigation. We're gonna cover uh, some weather-related crisis issues, some uh, civil unrest, then active threat, and then we've got a little wild card we're gonna throw in um, and see how well our panel thinks on their feet. So uh, thank you again, every, uh, <clears throat> panelists, for joining us. And uh, we're going to jump into, hit the stop sharing button here. There we go. Now we get to be the Brady Bunch. <clears throat> so we're going to start with our first scenario. We're looking at um, weather-related uh, issues. So let's start with a hurricane, because we can see those coming. So um, you know, planning and preparation becomes a little easier when you can see it coming versus those events where you can't. So, uh, Tyler, I'm going to go to you first and ask for, you know, what are, what are your best practices and best advice when you're preparing your business to deal with uh, an emergency such as uh, an oncoming threat like a hurricane? Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, this is one that um, I, I feel is just too routine for us. You know, we've got 9,000 stores uh, coast to coast, uh, Puerto Rico, USBI. So this this season is not the uh, not the typical baseball season I look forward to, but something that we we certainly plan for. And I think the way we approach this is is really um, we start conversations early on. You know, so we've built a, what we call our corporate emergency response team, which is really uh, about forty or so business units, and we've got uh, decision makers who are part of this. Um, and we really go through, make sure we have a primary and backup, and. Um, as we start leading into really severe weather season and then hurricane season, we do some alignment calls. And, and to me, I think that's probably been one of the most uh, important things that we've done. You know, we used to be a company that um, we've, we've always very, very eager. We've got tons of people that want to help, but it, it was always reactive. And we've really kind of changed that mindset to more of that proactive approach and really thinking about who the focus is. So when, when something like a hurricane is hitting in, in Ida, for instance, you know, I think it's really important that we establish kind of roles and responsibilities and what some baseline expectations are and really doing some training in advance of our, our corporate folks to think about what the impacts may be and how their business units will help support those in need. Um, so it, it really, to me, it starts off with a little bit of that pre-communication, what to expect in the event of emergency. And then when we start seeing it coming in is when we start really putting plans into motion. So We've got a 24-7 security operations center here that's doing, you know, advanced monitoring, see when things are coming in. We're looking at projected paths. But then we're really starting to think about how do we stage some of our, um, our assets and how do we align on making sure that um, we're, we're prepared for that recovery session. And we think about, you know, the impact it's going to have. We think about, you know, our team member impact. We think about our assets. So in our case, our, our physical buildings. Um, and then we think about the community, right? As a healthcare provider, we, we need to be actionable through that. So relationships that we, we, we continue to build, and we've got an asset protection team that's local in the field, and, and we really you know, encourage them to spend time building up that relationship with you know, the, the first responders and, and thinking about how do we align, how do we get back in? So um, setting up some MOUs with different groups to be able to you know, deploy our resources as quickly as possible. Um, Pre-generating our re-entry letters. You know, I think to me, that's one of the biggest challenges we've run into in some areas is how do we get back into a community once we've been uh, impacted and, and really making sure we have the alignment and what the requirements are because you know, every municipality um, could be different and making sure we understand what their requirements are. 
um, to get in and, and be safe with that. And then it's all about thinking about, you know, what is, what are we going to be doing in the event that this hurricane hits at, you know, category four, category five, and, and really takes out a lot of resources. Um, so it's really thinking about how do we stage, you know, the, the recovery efforts. And one of the challenges we always run into is, you know, usually when an area is hit, and I'll use New Orleans area, for instance, um, you know, it loses power, it loses resources, and it's hard to get team members back in to help with the recovery process. Um, one is, you know, they've evacuated, they've left the area. We've, we certainly encourage early on our team members to get, you know, in safe distance. Um, so it's about how do we get them to come back when there aren't necessarily resources. And so, you know, I think a best practice we, we picked up um, just in the most recent storm is, is probably twofold. One is how do we make arrangements with local hotels to help provide them with generators to get the operation up and running so that we can actually get our team members back and use that as a resource. Um, and then we actually have a little bit of a luxury with, with all of our, our real estate footprint, but you know, we have dark sites that we've closed down and, and maybe we still own the lease on. Um, so we have actually converted some of those into shelters um, over this last event and really been able to go and put some resources in there, you know, such as, you know, having showering facilities and, and certainly restrooms, um, laundry care. Um, and I think this, the, the last piece that kind of ties into that is pre-staging of fuel trucks. You know, that's been one of those ones that's been very instrumental. We've been doing that for years now where we procure the fuel trucks in advance and it really helps our team members to get back and forth to work, um, as well as making sure we've got ones that can help, you know, refill generators and make sure that we keep the operation going through those standpoints. So, you know, so I think about, you know, how we kind of really the, the preparations that go into it, it all starts in advance, you know, trying to do these things on the fly becomes very difficult. And, and I certainly encourage people to talk about what these scenarios look like, right? That's where exercises really come in handy to be able to test out what plans you have in place and, and how they, they come about. Um, and it makes everything else just start to flow a little bit easier um, as we start doing, you know, emergency operations center calls and those alignment calls when we actually have that impact. Um, so, uh, you know, to me, I think, you know, when we think about the hurricanes, it's really about that, that pre-work, right? All the heavy liftings in the pre-work um, then during the event, it's about monitoring, right? I think we, we leverage our CCTVs an awful lot to try to do pre-assessments so we can kind of get a little bit of gauging, you know, until we lose power sometimes, but we can start seeing what we may be walking into and that helps us to deploy, you know, our construction teams and, and other resources so we can actually be, uh, you know, ahead of the game. So we're not spending days wasted assessing and then going back and recapping it. We can actually come in with some supplies and get things going. And then lastly is the recovery piece and, and the recovery piece is, is a long one, but, you know, incredibly important to make sure that we're, we're focused on that team member aspect, right? The, the safety aspect, you know, we, we use um, mass communication, right? To make sure that we have our team members aligned, right? Whether it's, it's, you know, those in the impact zone, but also those who are going to be doing heavy lifting, you know, out of our corporate office and making sure that we have that constant communication. And, and, you know, we've got some great, great vendor partners on this call today who, you know, we work with and have been instrumental to us being able to have that two-way communication to make sure that we are, we're in a safe spot. So um, lots and lots of things that go on there, but, you know, those are kind of probably some of the things that kind of pop into my mind as we think about, you know, what do we do from a, from a hurricane perspective early on that really helps us prepare to be in the best position possible, uh, not knowing what the damage or, or anything else may look like. You know, um, interesting. I know you, when you mentioned the dark sites, I know that in some of the um, recent storms, recent years, I know there's been a number of retailers who didn't necessarily have dark sites that they could use, but they had partnered, you know, in advance with other companies that had dark sites that they were, you know, friendly with and so forth that they were able to leverage 
Um, so that that early communication and, and having those relationships, you know, set in place, um, I think you know, not only plays to their advantage, but would play to to most people's advantage. Scott, what do you um, uh, what do you think about um, uh, Tyler's plan here? What anything else that you've uh, that you've had in your experience to layer onto that? Yeah, you know, I've been in in retail for so many years now, and and one thing that most retailers have in common is a very extensive plan. I think that. Um, you know, if you try to memorize elements, all the elements of that plan, it can get, it can get confusing, right? Um, I believe in a very uh, nimble plan that serves as a, I don't know, something that, that can transcend into other emergencies as well. But for field leadership, empowering the leaders in those facilities to, to act on the five things that are going to be most mission critical, right? So, I mean, Tyler hit all the, all the key spots there. But I'm in loss prevention. I'm looking at, at employee safety first and foremost. But then you also have to consider, um, you know, protecting the assets, um, you know, post-event. I think we all learned from Katrina many years ago with all the looting that, that transpired, right? And, you know, if you've been in any situations where the roof blew off the building, whatever, you have to protect the, the, the hardware in the building, right? Putting trash bags around the point of sale systems, whatnot. There's millions of dollars of hardware in these facilities, and you have to protect that. You know, in the environment that we're in right now, um, you know, we're an on-demand delivery service. We're not necessarily open to every customer. We're not in the corner of Fifth and Main. We're kind of innocuous. We're hidden. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, if a hurricane does happen, we have to protect our assets. We have security cages in our facilities. So lock up these the scanners. What are the most expensive items in the store? Take advantage and leverage those resources that you currently have in place. Excellent. Jeff? Well, hey, thanks a lot for the opportunity to, to speak with everyone and, and listen to some of the other facets in, in throughout the industry. It's really fascinating. Uh, for me, there's there's no greater importance than the, the pre-planning and the preparedness for the other 364 days of the year. Um, so from our perspective, and, and then bear in mind, Whenever you have a panel, you have different companies or whatever, what works for one may not necessarily work for all. And, but it's just, it's very beneficial to be able to draw from experiences of others. From our perspective, we, we, we really try to focus around taking care of our people, places, and things essentially in that order. And, um, one of the things we do in the preparation stage is, we want to be sure we're acting on credible information. And so for us, we, we have all of our properties logged by longitude and latitude and have a dedicated uh, team of people that, um, you know, get direct feed from the national weather service to be able to correlate how an, how an event may impact a property. So for me, the largest uh, task that I have during an emergency is event is to manage the emotion, right? Everybody has a plan and everybody has what they feel they need to do independently. But what we, we spend a lot of energy making sure that we're not unnecessarily competing for finite resources. Because when an exigent event occurs, you know, circumstances are, are negative in any place. There, there is, there is finite resource uh, resources available for everyone. And we're not the only group, person, team, company, element, trying to, uh, you know, vie for these resources. 
So one of the things that we, we, when we evaluate an event, and for me, I don't, I hate to sound emotionless, but for me, this is a mathematical equation. Our importance is to understand the variables in the equation. So we try to figure out beforehand, what are the, what are the things that we take for granted on a day-to-day -day basis when business is great and everything is normal and say, what do we have in place to still have access to element or resource A, B, or C, right? Cell coverage, gasoline that was mentioned earlier, hotel rooms, that sort of thing, rental cars, X, Y, Z, all these resources. Um, we, we spend a great deal of energy throughout the year to make sure we have contractual agreements for all the necess you know, necessary elements and variables that our people will need during the, during the actual event. So it's, it's really fascinating. There are so many similarities in, in what I've heard so far um between companies everyone's thinking along the same thing along the same path but uh, i have found just from an emergency perspective part of our job is to is to manage the emotion of the the variables that are involved the variables are the the, the teams involved the agencies involved you know obviously we're partnering with fema or the state emergency management people uh, at the state level, county level, et cetera. So all these variables to me are, are things that, that we can address in normal times, normal circumstances, so that when something um, interrupts our business and, and an emergency event takes place, we're not trying to shake hands or meet somebody or exchange business cards for the first time in the middle of a mess, right? So it's... Um, you know, it, it's just, that's just a perspective that we take. We have very similar uh, operational capacities and, and plans in place in terms of response, uh, you know, you know, the response phase, recovery phase. So there are varying support groups that are set up just like the ESFs of a state or, you know, FEMA's uh, EOC. So it's, everybody knows what they're supposed to do independently, but, um, in, in my arena, in the emergency world, it's, um, you know, our role to coordinate and facilitate a non-competitive or negative interaction between the support elements so that we act as the total Home Depot response versus the operations of Home Depot or the merchants or the supply chain of Home Depot or this group or that group. It's, it's one unified response by being, you know, being aware of those limited resources. Well, and you've got a you've got a, an interesting added layer too onto yours, right, Jeff? Because you're you're not just responding to get your stores and your your people back and so forth, but the supplies that that Home Depot you know delivers. You know, yes, uh, I think Tyler medication wise and stuff too, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. um, but and, and you guys have got to get those resources back into those areas, you know, as quickly as possible. People are looking to you to rebuild you know, they can't do the rebuild without the lumber and you've right. got the lumber, right? So um, an interesting added layer uh, on top of that responsibility that you have in coordinating with your supply chain folks, I imagine as well. One of the things that we do, and I think, uh, I think it was mentioned earlier, and I think Tyler, I think Tyler mentioned it about staging and, you know, pre-staging of certain things. Um, we do spend a great deal of energy and, and analysis involved in 
having an, having an understanding of what merchandise is normally or you know routinely required based on the event. So in a flooding event, it may be one uh, you know one set of SKUs or merchandise categories that may be the most in demand. If it's a hurricane, it may be different. If it's you know who knows what tornado, flooding, snow, earthquake, we've seen them you know most everything. But we uh, we do pre stage resources to send in before landfall, immediately following a landfall, and then the longer term uh, sustainability, you know, product categories and that sort of thing. So I have to partner with our merchandising and supply chain folks to understand that and, and be able to um, appropriately stage that sort of thing. So it's, like I say, it's a, it's the 364 days of the year that nothing's happened and it is all in preparation for, uh, you know, an appropriate response on that 365th day of the year when something does happen. Right. <laughs> right. Right. All right, Tony, uh, let's, uh, let's have you guys weigh in, um, you and Dustin to give a little, you know, uh, did you, did you hear anything? Did you not hear anything that you wanted to hear? Did you, is there stuff that you guys are usually telling your clients on top of any of this? Um, I mean, yeah. obviously it was preparedness, preparedness, preparedness too. Um, I'm going to guess, uh, preparedness, right? Preparedness is, is, is a great place to start. Uh, no, I heard a lot of great things, especially from like Scott, Jeff and Tyler, uh, with, when, you know, Scott said something about being flexible, you know, having those plans is great, but every plan is like a guideline and it needs to remain flexible because every situation is going to look a little different. Um, I think that's one of the key elements that people need to stop being, don't be so rigid and thinking I have to do this in this order. It's a guideline. It's not so much a, a task list that you have to do. So I, I heard that and I, that, that was great to hear. And the other thing I, I always worry about is, do people actually exercise these, these plans before they use them? Um, and we always talk about that with clients is how often do you exercise them? And then, you know, do we have a facilitator that exercises them with us? Or do we let the, the lead of our, uh, you know, loss prevention team or safety team uh, actually, you know, facilitate the training and the exercise itself. And that to me is always a little nerve wracking because they have something they're supposed to be doing and now they're not doing it during this training. Um, so we, we see this in, on the government side and we see the same thing happening on the private side is when we see teams that are doing that, they're cheating themselves a little bit because during these exercises, we've got to be a little vulnerable. We've got to be open to seeing where we are, where we are missing spots and where we're doing things really good. We can't just like be, be saying, we checked the box, we did this exercise, we're doing great, guys. These are meant to show your vulnerabilities and, to, and keep improving. Even when you're doing good, you can always be doing better. And that's what a, a true exercise is meant to do if you let it do that. But if you're looking not to expose yourself in your current role and say, uh, I look bad if, I, if, I'm not, if I'm not doing this right, then you're missing out. So I encourage everyone to just to, when you do have these opportunities, and I know it's not often that you get to train these kind of exercises, take full advantage of a tabletop. Don't just, you know, breeze through the motions. Take, take the time and do it right. Very well said. Excellent. Excellent. Tyler, back to you. I'm going to ask you, you know, hurricanes, we can see them coming. But what about something more like a tornado or an earthquake um, that just catches you out of the blue? I mean, tornadoes, okay, you, maybe you know a little bit about because you know there's a bad weather pattern coming that may likely but you never know where they're going to hit, obviously. Um, and certainly earthquakes, we, we usually don't get any warning on those. 
Um, what are the, what about those types of events and, and uh, preparing for that and responding to that in a crisis? Yeah, it's a it's a good one. Um, you know, as you mentioned, tornadoes. We we, we have a little bit of an idea when those are coming about. Um, you know, we, we like to call all those things are no warning events, right? The ones that we just can't necessarily plan for and hit us out of the blue. So, you know, again, I think a lot of it goes to, to what we talked about earlier, the, the pre-planning, right? We have to just be aware and ready and thinking about those things. And, and Tony made a great point, right? I mean, you've got to make sure you got the right people who are facilitating these things, make sure you got the right plans. Um, you got to make sure you actually take next steps out of it and do something with it. Um, otherwise it's, it's pointless. Um, but, you know, I think the, the things that, you know, when these no event, uh, no notice event ones, to me, this is where I think the communication is a very, very strong point. Um, you know, uh, again, I think it, we, we lean on our mass notification an awful lot, you know, when, when these events come, um, at least we, you know, and, and we use it for, I mean, you know, for earthquakes, you know, certainly we see tornadoes a lot, but, you know, one of the things we've been able to do is leverage some of the technology as well. And I think, you know, most stores have gone to, or most facilities even have gone to different types of equipment. Um, I think of things like Indime or think about uh, Theatro as kind of a earpiece. Um, we, we've worked really hard to make sure that as we get these types of alerts that are coming in, we will, we will actually through our security operations center tap right into our any type of intercom system or phone system we have in the stores to alert you know team members customers everybody to seek shelter um this is this has kind of come into play a, a few times especially with tornadoes where we get get that advance notice we got the alert that, that's coming out we broadcast it we're able to secure our, our team members customers inside you know we're, we've got secure areas and stores a lot of times it's kind of our cooler freezer section it's a, the most sturdy section in there so I think it's the, the how do we get communication out um, as quickly as possible? Uh, I know it was brought up earlier too, you know, really focused and, and Scott and Jeff both said it, but team members, right? How are our team members? Are they safe? You know, I think there's a, a big component where we really jump into making sure that we've communicated with them. Um, and and we, we are tirelessly working to make sure that every team member that we've, we've you know, we know is there. Um, in the area, even not even just necessarily at that one store, but in the area, leveraging some HRIS data, but really looking at what was the path look like, where does it fall, what's the impact, um, and then seeing back to, you know, how do we help them personally and professionally, right? Our stores are important, but we can't run our stores, we can't run our business without our team members, and, and it definitely came up earlier how we, we, the focus has to be on our people, um, and that's the most important piece. So when we know we've got our, our people in a safe spot, we can then start recovery process and the recovery follows a lot of the same standards. Again, you know, I talked about our emergency response team. Um, you know, it is an a la carte. So it's not bringing people who aren't necessarily impacted by that one event into the call because then it just gets noisy and people want to talk just to be heard rather than actually talk to, to actually accomplish something. Um, so we really work hard to make sure that we have the right resources for what the needs are. And it generally starts off with communication to the impact area, you know, understanding from our local leadership, hey, what are you seeing? What do you need? What's, what's the most trying component there? And those are the teams that we start bringing in. As we get some one-offs, we will triage those, but bring in the right appropriate teams to keep it small and manageable, but make sure that we do have the right stakeholders in there. Um, so to me, I think those are probably some of the, the key things that, you know, technology, how can you leverage technology to, to give that advance notice as quickly as possible? You know, an email is not going to cut it. It's too late. Phone call, you know, may or may not be too late as well. So what's that instant communication? Um, you know, whether it's using handhelds or, or other functionality, text message, MMS, 
all those things I think are, are a very important piece that, that help us with those no notice events. Jeff, do you guys do any um, pre-planning or pre-staging when we get into things like, you know, tornado season and anywhere along tornado alley? Do you, do you have some, I mean, obviously you've got these plans when you can see it coming, right? But when you can't see it coming, but you know, it could likely happen. And we know historically usually does. Um, how do you guys uh, plan for that? To some degree, uh, the way our supply chain and distribution network are set up, we have, say, just for example, uh, a regional distribution center. So it's associated with a specific geography. Okay. So our alignment is, you know, store district region division. Okay. So some of that is, and we know um, historically the months that are most prone to, you know, tornadic activity, for example then yeah, we're going to have, we're going to have more supplies um, that would be potentially, you know, relevant for that type of event, maybe in that regional distribution center or ones within a reasonable driving distance and their flow through top centers. So it's, it's, you know, it's easy to manage in terms of, you know, just have stagnant, um, you know, inventory sitting around for no reason. But um, yeah, we do, we do, um, some logistics uh, maneuvering to specific areas. There are certain uh, SKUs or merchandising, uh, you know, items that we do put into more susceptible areas and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing we see, uh, honestly, and I think Tyler hit on it earlier, is, uh, you know, the communication piece. When we don't see an event coming, because to me, hurricanes are easy. They're easy to deal with uh, because everybody gets a lot of warning and then all this sort of thing. The challenge that we see with, you know, unpredictable or, you know, sudden events is that everybody turns into a weather person. Everybody's all of a sudden an expert on, you know, the atmosphere and the weather of the, you know, the world. Right. And our biggest challenge is that, and, and it's something that we, we, move to dispel uh, is that I think anyone probably in any organization, one of the biggest challenges is to be able to act on factual information concerning the event slash impact. Because everybody is, you know, everybody's got every kind of weather app in the world. Everybody's got a smartphone. Everybody's watching the weather channel and so forth and so on. Because there's a tornado warning for a certain county, it does not mean that warning is necessarily happening for mine or your location. So again, we go back to, you know, plot your locations by longitude and latitude, have a weather service provider or a team of people dedicated to, Hey, is this, does our location physically fall within this cone, that type of thing. And then once the event takes place, the plans are great but they're kind of like traffic laws. They're just suggestions. Yeah. Right? You have to either be able to follow them implicitly, or you have to have enough sense to say, this is a guideline and I need to deviate from it based on the circumstances. Right. And that's a challenge we see within a very large organization um, is that um, people need to separate themselves from the idea that, we absolutely have to be right 100% of the time, or we, we can, you know, we always have to have the right answer. 
the circumstances may dictate you have to be flexible and make your answer adapt to the circumstances themselves. So we got to, we got to get rid of the fear of, um, you know, just having to be right for the sake of being right. We have to be accurate and applicable to the circumstances that present themselves. So I tell everybody, Hey, we can be right or we can be wrong, but the number one priority is that we're not indecisive. So um, that's just something that we try to spend some energy on, but we absolutely uh, make sure that we're trying to operate on the most factual data absent of unnecessary emotion. Excellent. Well said. Um, All right, Scott. And we heard a lot flexible, flexible, flexible. Um, So um, good. You you got our buzzword for today. I do. Uh, I've got a few more to throw at you, but uh, all right, well, Let's transition I'll reserve into, those for later, but uh, right, I will I'm, say that uh, you know, I'm going to go into that, civil uh, unrest next. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to pick on you for civil unrest. Sure. Um, and, uh, and the process of preparing for and then dealing with, um, you know, uh, th- those opportunities. We've certainly seen so much of that over yeah. the past couple of years. Um, and some of them have really gotten out of control. So a lot of them have done a lot of property damage. Um, and obviously we're all responsible for protecting those properties. So, um, what, what, what would be your, uh, your advice on the side of, uh, crisis response to civil unrest issues? Yeah. So unfortunately all of us got a crash course in civil unrest last year and it, and it stemmed through, you know, the most of the second half of the year and, uh, well into, uh, the first part of this year as well. So I think a lot of retailers, you know, being, um, very transparent, uh, started to put together a more of a crisis management uh, approach to dealing with civil arrest uh, in light of what took place, uh, you know, May and June of last year, right? And, and we weren't different than that. You know, we, I believe in a collaborative process, um, pulling all teams. We all have a vested interest, loss prevention, environmental health and safety, uh, internal communications, supply chain, government affairs, um, operations, of course. Um, we plan for it because we knew that it was inevitable. You could, so, you could see the buildup through last year. And I think that we should just kind of focus on last year right now because that, w- that could very well uh, likely repeat itself in, in months or years to come. Um, we have sites all throughout the United States. So I'll just speak directly for us right now. Um, again, they're, they're kind of innocuous. You don't, you don't necessarily know they're there. It's not like a CVS or a Rite Aid or a Home Depot where customers are walking in and out. But people do know that we're there. One, we want to focus on employee safety. So all of our calls, and we have daily, sometimes twice daily, even three times daily calls um, as events are building up, right? We've already done our preparatory work. That is contacting local guard agencies and making sure that we have guards available and actually scheduled uh, for the day of the event as as that uh, comes to fruition. And then the aftermath of that event, right? Um, Because if you wait, you're not going to have any guards. And, and, you know, I got to tell you, we worked very hard on the front end last year to get the guards in place. But then working closely with facilities and constructions as well. Um, you, you have teams on the ground, um, and these are the local site managers and district managers and regional managers. They hear about the, the planned protests well in advance. And there's also resources available out there. You know, you've got the Captus Intels of the world, and you've got the data miners and others um, that, that uh, you know, track and, and scrape uh, the net for that type of information so you can help take that into consideration as well. But uh, so now that you know 
there's, you know, it's inevitable there's going to be an event someplace in close proximity. Do you make that decision to close the facility? And in some, time, in some cases, we did close those facilities, uh, but we boarded up many facilities in anticipation. I think it's a lot better to be proactive. And for us, it worked exceptionally well. So, you know, I think that having that plan in place now and making sure that field leaders are empowered to make decisions, whether that be, again, in our world as an on-demand delivery service, do we reroute um, driver zones so we can kind of stay clear of, of the drama, so to speak, right? That happens. You know, the, the gig world nowadays, um, uh, those employees that are, are self-employed, they want to feel safe and they want to know that the company that they are doing business with is concerned about their safety. And, and I can tell you that we're very concerned about that. And that echoes uh, not just through the driver community, but by our employees as well. If they feel unsafe, uh, there is no requirement that you have to work. Okay. So um, in, in just recapping from last year, um, we were incredibly fortunate. And I can tell you that because of the collective efforts by all teams at HQ and field and down to the site level, um, we didn't have any mishaps. We were very fortunate, but we planned appropriately. And as a result, we kept pace with what we did last year all the way up through to the uh, elections and anticipated crises um, you know, going into that. So I think that it's, it's, it's something that every retailer has to be concerned with and you need to have a plan. But more importantly, the preparation piece, training, developing and empowering teams to make decisions on, you know, on the fly, so to speak. You know, guys, um, a question that I have when we, when we look at this entire topic, everybody's kind of touched on this, but um, I'm looking at the folks with their boots on the ground. You know, what do you think are the most important steps that they can take in these situations? And what do you think are the greatest opportunities that you've seen with the folks in the stores um, that we can work on as an industry? Tyler, well, how about you? How about on the Walgreens front? Because uh, sometimes these pop up and you guys do tend to be a, a pretty good target and you are on a lot of the street corners too. You know, Scott's, uh, Scott's a little more innocuous, like he said, you know, you don't necessarily know where his places are, but boy, you know, when there's a Walgreens on a corner and, um, and Home Depot is usually out, you know, kind of on its own property. So it tends to be a little bit different. So um, Tyler, from, from your perspective, let's take that one. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, definitely the, the last year was crazy. We actually had, you know, the, the one, one main day we actually closed every store in the country um, just because of employee safety and not understanding, you know, what happened. And, and so, you know, I, I think it came up, right. I mean, um, I think when we think about our team members, it is making sure they have a safe environment to go into and they feel safe. Um, you know, they, they're the ones we, we did allow and empower our stores to make the decisions where if they felt something was, was, didn't feel right or wasn't going right, or people came in and, and it just seemed overwhelming. It, you know, the question was, or the decision was just get out of the store, right? It's not even, let's try to get people out of the store and lock up. It was, we had stores that we just abandoned. Um, and, and that was because of that pre-conversation and the constant communication and saying, you know what, employee safety is fine, right? If we, if we lose everything in this store, it's not worth the loss of a life or anything else. And, and that is always kind of been how we, we are guiding principle. Um, but I, but I do think that, you know, communication is one of the, the biggest pieces that, 
really kind of helped us through this. Um, and, you know, it, it was all probably the same thing, right? All in the COVID world, all learning virtual and everything else, right? We had just kind of gone and we used Microsoft Teams. Um, and so we actually were able to do a lot of communication from our security operations center as we were monitoring social media and, and posts and, you know, any threat intelligence and be able to communicate any potential protests, riots, or anything else that were going on and that were nearing the vicinity of our locations. And we were able to then proactively lock up and close before we actually got to some of those circumstances where you, you had a thousand people in your store and, and starting to cause, you know, damage. Um, you know, we had a little bit of back and forth, honestly, about to board up or not board up some of our locations. Um, you know, it was a twofold. One was um, boarding up, you know, creates a perception that we think that the neighborhood's bad and, and we certainly would get that pressure from one side. Um, and in certain times we were facing the fact that it didn't matter if we had steel on the front doors, people were coming with torches and, you know, saws and everything else because they just knew it was an opportunistic time to be able to do things. Um, and, and so again, that's where the communication piece, right? Jack, you, you talked about what do we do? What could our team members do differently? What could we do better in the field or the front lines? And, and I think it is just being aware of, of what's around, you know, feeling comfortable to make sure that we're speaking up and, and saying when things just don't feel right. Um, and again, I think it's uh, allowing and creating an environment where we feel our people are empowered to, you know, take care of their own safety. Um, I think that's probably the biggest piece. And, and I've been with Walgreens for 30, 33 years this week. Um, and, you know, I think from a time that we had a culture where you had to be the last one open and the uh, last one to close and first one to open. And, and we certainly have changed that over the last decade plus to really be more and more about the focus of our team members and safety and concerns and, and taking care of those things. So to me, I think it's about making sure we create an environment for our teams and our employees to feel enabled to speak their mind and be comfortable that if we don't have team members to run a store because we don't feel like it's a safe situation, that's okay, right? At the end of the day, we should be okay with that. And, and that's probably one of the biggest things that we encourage. And, and I think we've had really good response rate um, and just a feeling from our team members, you know, that they feel like their life is valued and they're not just somebody forced on the front line, that we care about them and, and we are closing stores if it's, you know, if it's an unsafe environment. And you've got a communication process in place, right? For uh, like you have an emergency operations center um, that, you know, so when the store thinks they have an issue, they do have a resource, right? Yes. Yeah. So we've got, and it's great. It's two way. So obviously our security operations center is responding. If they're feeling that we can do all the, we can take care of all the bells and whistles and technology on the back end and, and make sure that we're closing things on a digital standpoint. So we don't upset customers by seeing the stores open online or a mobile app and then come there. Um, but then we also have the push model where we are getting the data feeds that are coming from our service providers and be able to proactively say, Hey, this is happening in your neighborhood, lock the door, let's move, let's, let's move on from this piece. So it works both ways. And I think that's, it, it's a great model for us. It really helps that push pull um, to make sure we're, we've got a good, you know, good circle of influence. Excellent. Tony and Dustin, um, from your perspective, I'm going to, I'm going to make an assumption here and go with the word preparedness again, <laughs> but uh, preparedness yeah, and communication that, and uh, a few other buzzwords. Um, yeah, I, don't know if, I don't know if Scott's word of flexible comes into play here too, because it sounds like it does. Uh, yeah, uh, and what we're seeing more and more now is are, are these brazen walk-in thefts and walk and, and walk out either by groups of people. Um, the traditional trying to hide shoplifting and, and get away with it is kind of uh, it's kind of going uh, way of the past. And 
uh, we're seeing some really dangerous things occur uh, with our retail partners out there. And um, it's a little frightening, especially if you're that boots on the ground employee. Um, you know, our pro one of our programs that we that we've carried out across the country uh, is de-escalation training, you know, teaching people how to be that masterful communicator. Um, obviously, if somebody is set on committing a, a brazen crime, like walking into a store and grabbing as much as they can and leaving with it, uh, there's not a lot that your frontline employees are going to be able to do about that. Now, technology-wise, can we figure out who these people are? Do we have facial recognition software integrated? Uh, what is our plan um, afterwards? Uh, are we going to uh, are, are we going to pursue charges? Are we going to are, are we going to you know file charges against these people? Um, are we going to prosecute when that when it comes to fruition? Uh, you know, those are all things that we can do in that pre-plan uh, basis. That's, that's why training is so important and giving people that option, you know, and, uh, you know, it was said earlier, uh, Scott said it, empowering our people, letting them know that they have options and the product isn't worth your life. Uh, you're our most valuable asset. And when people know that and they see that from the top and uh, the C-suite from everyone down has, has, has bought into that, um, that way of operating, that it's not just about the bottom line. It's not just about shrinkage. We care about you and we care about your safety. So, um, you know, Tyler saying that uh, they have mass communication uh, capabilities to reach out to all their employees, whether they're in the, the danger zone or not in bad weather or if we're going to close a store. Uh, I think that, that all that is very important. The, uh, you know, uh, wellness apps and things that, that, that I've seen some of our clients using and that, that we've helped implement, um, they're fantastic. A way for everyone to communicate and everyone to feel part of that team. Empowerment really uh, is the key. And empowerment is done through quality training and, and preparation. I know we're just beating it to death, but um, you know, there's nothing that we can't be prepared for uh, tomorrow if we train right today. We train like we fight and we fight like we train. I, I come from a military background and um, there's no more uh, true statement than that. Kind of I mean, do you have something to layer in there? Yeah, I kind of, I, I want to go back to kind of what Tyler was talking about with the civil unrest in preparation. It's, there is a little bit of preparation you can do and things like, like Scott said, the data miner and things like that. Um, we have an Intel analyst that, that helps our clients out and is able to collect that information and do some analysis and some pre-warning signs that come out. And we learned a lot of that on the government side, you know, working with Homeland Security is we would see a lot of these things coming to fruition before they actually happened. I know they're spontaneous in their nature, but you can get a heads up on these things. And, and when Tyler said something about allowing employees to, to feel empowered to communicate that information with, you know, lead up the chain of command, that's an important piece because those boots on the ground people are going to have a really good wind of this feeling and, and what's going on there and allowing them to make those decisions is a huge deal because they feel valued in that way. And they're going to feel safer in that way that you value them as a team member. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things you can do on the pre inside on the pre-screening side with uh, seeing these things coming. So um, I, I always recommend utilizing those tools, like Scott said, data miner and things like that. That's a great place to start, but I know our, our Intel analysts got, got worked to death last year and, you know, putting together plans for, for different areas and, and like Tyler said, rerouting trucks and, or, or sorry, Scott said, rerouting deliveries and all these different things. Those are all such important things to do when you know there's a potential problem. We can keep our own, own team members out of harm's way. I mean, because your team members are your most valuable assets by far. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know you see these things happen, and it feels like <laughs> five hundred people just came down to the square at the same time, you know, but they didn't, right? There was a communication that happened beforehand and it may have been a little more underground. It may have been a little more grassroots, but if you're tied into those technologies that are, that are monitoring for that and, and, and taking that pulse, right. And then communicating that out to you and then having a communication in communication process internally that allows, you know, your associates not only feel empowered, but, but they're educated and knowing, okay, we think we have a problem and this is what we should do next. This is who we should call. This is the direction we should go. Um, just, you know, obviously absolutely critical. Yeah, Kevin, and one of those pieces is like, it's kind of a new thing, but there's threat assessment teams. Having a team that actually can make decisions and come together very quickly, it's, it's a huge deal. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's move on to another threat here because, um, and Jeff, I'm going to throw this to you. Um, and not for any any particular reason that you guys get picked on with this, but we've certainly seen, you know, active shooter. We've seen, gosh, I remember going back to the uh, the old the highway shooter in D.C., the D.C. sniper. And, and, it, and that was just somebody doing a news report from a, with a Home Depot in the background. And everybody thought that Home Depot had, you know, a shooter event happening. Um, but we've had so many of these events you know, with, with, uh, in schools and businesses and shopping malls, you know, in the retail stores and grocery stores and so forth. Um, where, do, where do we even begin on the preparation side of that? Where do we begin on, uh, on, and when an event is happening, you know, walk us through the path of, uh, or down the path of, of how we prepare for and respond to these active threat events. Got it. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, the, the uptick in occurrences is just fascinating, right? Um, we recently, as a company, have really um, made, a, made a pretty big move to establish and uh, solidify a threat assessment team that can act uh, at the company level uh, to address, you know, active assailant scenarios or instances that could potentially develop into active uh, assailant scenarios. So that's part of my role. I get the short straw of all things horrible. So I have to figure out how to solve it. Right. Um, one of the things that we've learned in our, in our, um, you know, development of the program is that we're having to examine and look at just how do we first become aware as a company that there is a threat what's what's clearly defined as a threat and then what needs to be um you know what action needs to to be taken so one of the things and bear in mind anything that i, I tell you here doesn't mean it's right for everybody doesn't mean i'm the expert doesn't mean doesn't mean i'm, I'm mr know-it-all i'm not professor know-it-all from the cartoons none of that all right it's just what works for us okay that's very fair. Um, so from our perspective, workplace violence and a threat of violence and an active assailant event are all similar, not necessarily the same thing, but still are obliged to be addressed um, in, in different ways or in, and also with some similarities. So um, for us, we have obviously a reporting structure for our locations to report threats of violence, whether it is an associate who threatens this violence or a customer who threatens the violence. So the question would be, if, you're, if your entity has this capacity, 
what do you do with that information? All right, what's next? So you have you get the facts. What is next? Say if if a circumstance develops into an active assailant scenario for us, um, again, uh, it's a bit of preparation. Um, we absolutely do not want responding law enforcement agencies to be setting foot on our property for the first time because they just got a call. There's an active assailant scenario at this location. So with some regularity, um, you know, a few times a year, once a quarter, biannually or annually, uh, we will bring in any responding agent that is associated agency that's associated with any of our properties and just walk them around our properties. Hey, be familiar with this building, right? Uh, whether it is a corporate campus, a store, supply chain, distribution element, subsidiary, whatever the case may be. So I think the big piece for us in terms of um, active assailant response, aside from the operational pieces that have to take place in communication and, you know, the engaging PR and legal and, and you know, all this sort of thing, uh, for us, in order to minimize the, uh, you know, the exposure and the extent of damage or whatever, it is building a greater degree of awareness, both internally as well as externally. So we spend a great deal of energy in training our associates. What do you, what do, you do if you encounter this type of scenario? And quite frankly, we try to make it as simple as possible. So we don't want to... Um, you know, analysis by paralysis over the event. It's pretty simple. You run, hide, or fight, and we'll worry about the rest of it when the circumstances prevent, you know, present themselves. But from an external standpoint, I just go back to um, very important to make the local connectivity with local, um, you know, emergency response elements, whether it's police, fire, whatever the case may be. And on a day when the sky is blue and nothing is wrong, come to our facility let's walk through let us understand what you do as response elements so that we can appropriately build internal response efforts that coordinate with what's actually going to take place it's just that's just a few brief points not saying it's necessarily right or necessarily uh because of the call length obviously not going into exorbitant detail but uh, you know there's just some a few a few points to consider and Jeff, I want to I want to add on that real quick. Like you said, I know we have limited time, but uh, as a SWAT officer of over twenty years, I um, I can't emphasize how important that is. And and um, forward thinking individuals uh, and companies, businesses within a jurisdiction that reach out, uh, especially with large facilities or large stores, uh, distribution facilities. I know you guys have huge ones, um, and you think about a response to a facility like that, now you uh, as responding team and responding first responders, you have to search every nook and cranny of that location, anywhere a person could be. You have to look there until that area is going to be cleared, until that area is going to be, um, uh, you know, until you're going to allow um, uh, paramedics and, and, and other agencies, other uh, entities, inter, you know, come into that space. Everything's going to have to be cleared, and if you've never been in a place like that, and this is your first time with a rifle in your hand and radio chattering in your ear, um, 
if you've been there before and if you have a good work, working relationship and you have a liaison with uh, with that agency, it's going to make that situation um, clear and safer and faster uh, for everyone involved. So I think that's fantastic. And you reach out to an agency, they're not going to tell you no. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, we've had we've had just really uh, positive reception on the, you know, reaching out and so forth. One of the things that we did, we did identify at, uh, you know, various locations, it, it's kind of a tactical thing, but it was, it was very well received. Uh, like say our corporate office has, you know, it's a gated facility, whatever. There are multiple entrances that are secured, et cetera, et cetera. But what we did is we placed, uh, we just call them go bags, right? Uh, at the at various locations where law enforcement can pick up this backpack that has access cards, keys, blueprints of the facility, a radio to the local, you know, that connects directly to our global security operations center, et cetera, et cetera. So they have complete access without having to destroy the whole, you know, the whole freaking building to clear it. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, that, that's a, that's a very minor tactical thing, but that came as a result of just having conversation. So I think for us, the, the, the big highlight is you got to just have a conversation. What, what, are, what do you do? I need to understand what you do, law enforcement agency, and then I can plan appropriately internally. And for us, uh, you know, we, everybody's got SOPs. Everybody loves SOPs, right? It's great. So, um, we made sure that our active assailant SOP or guidance, whatever language you want to use around it, is not a work of Tolstoy, right? We don't need war and peace. We need a very clear, concise direction to associates. Our associates are not law enforcement, loss prevention, or military, you know, like Dustin or, or myself, right? So they're not going to look at it from the same lens we do. But they are, we, and really there's twofold thing to think about. It's not only the clear direction to the associates, but anything we put in writing, <laughs> if you look at it from a company level is discoverable. So what we put in writing has to be consistent. It has to be clearly articulated, not confusing and not conflicting with any other documentation that exists should this bad thing happen. Sorry, I don't mean to sound like an attorney, but. <laughs> these are some things we have to absolutely consider right but i think for us the number one thing is you gotta have a, you gotta have conversations with the other variables in the equation the other variables are law enforcement emergency response other people businesses in your proximity whatever the case may be and how how damaging jeff can workplace violence of any type be to our brand uh, yeah and, and, a lot of oftentimes we don't think about that until the, until the back end of it, especially when the, the situation is occurring. First thing on our minds needs to be, are, how are our people? Is everyone okay? And then weeks, months, years to follow, um, you know, we got we to gotta worry about functionality and, and what is this doing to our brand? You know, were we prepared for this? Um, you know, do people feel safe to come back to work? Um, is our... SOP is our emergency action plan a work of toy story like you said I might use that in the future because we've ran into Antonio back me up on this we ran into to, um, EAPs that are 
you know, encyclopedia long that have a bunch of language in it that nobody nobody understands, including um, legalese folks that wrote it. So yeah, keep it basic, keep it simple, and then train on that. Train, 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 empower, 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 um, and keep that up and current and in in a in a platform that can be communicated to everyone, to everyone, that our customers, our employees, everyone from the uh, from the highest ranking to the you know brand new employee that we're maybe we're sitting in front of a computer for a nine minute module to learn what to do. Um, so I think you made some really great points, uh, and we we travel the country uh, saying a lot of the same things and, and and training folks on that. But the the goal, our goal, all of us here on this panel and everyone uh, participating, is to keep people safe and uh, let people know. It's, it's okay to leave your house. It's okay to go to the store. It's okay to go to church. It's okay to go to school. Um, and you have a right to do that and come home safe to your family. Yeah, I mean, that's our viewpoint on it. I mean, I said earlier, our primary concern is we, we take care of our, our people, places, and things, right? Now, I've got loss prevention background myself, so this may sound crazy to loss prevention audience, but Merchandise and stuff is just stuff. The brand, particularly if you're publicly traded and privately traded, privately owned, probably more so, your brand is is really a number one priority. And you start with ensuring that the brand is stable by having the, the reputation that I'm going to take care of my people. And then, then I'm going to take care of the, the communities and my places, right? And then I'll worry about this stuff later. It's just stuff, right? Now, sorry, I don't mean to sound trivial. I'm not excited about a big shrink number at all. And I'm not, you know, I'm not excited about just giving away the building. But when it comes to um, an active assailant scenario, threat of violence, you know, threat assessment type scenario, um, it really, the, the primary concern is life, you know, life safety and then the brand. Because if you are perceived in today's social media world as being only concerned with your physical assets, that's, that's, that's a negative. That's, that's a negative. Now, it's just my perception. And like I say, I'm fairly emotionless uh, most of the time. So I just tend to view things in, uh, in light of what makes the equation balance, right? And to me, the brand is... is can cause such larger loss and damage uh, if you don't consider that as a variable, right? So, sorry, I don't mean to ramble too much. No, no, you're good. Um, hey guys, uh, if, if you look at um, something that we talked about early on there, the idea of, I, I think in most companies where you have a loss prevention presence, um, it's natural and happens on a consistent basis where we're reaching out to the first responders, whether it be law enforcement or um, the fire department or whoever it might be. But what about those, those companies out there that don't have that natural liaison with these emergency responders? How would you recommend they take that first step to get involved? It's to me, that's a that's a really easy one on my end. Uh, we we work with this because we we consult for smaller companies that don't have those people, 
So we know how to make those connections being law enforcement individuals ourselves. Uh, it's as simple as, hey, if you wouldn't mind uh, coming in during your shift and grab a cup of coffee, I'd love to chat with you. Uh, there's a couple of things that, that law enforcement individuals want during their shift because they, they work these hours, they go to these calls, they want a clean bathroom, and they would love a cup of coffee. And if you can offer them either one of those things and say, you're welcome here anytime, that'll start getting the ball rolling. And then you start reaching out further and further and get that, get that communication, those relationships. It's not really just communication. It's relationships. You're building a relationship with these people. And that's the way it should be because the, the manager who might be, or maybe the supervisor of the law enforcement entity who comes on the day that you give them a tour may not be your responding officer on those days. So it's, I, I always encourage people to go beyond that and say, anybody, let your staff know we want them to come in and, and you know, grab a cup of coffee, say hello. They're welcome here anytime. And when you make that readily available, it makes it real easy to get, get uh, as we call it, the low-hanging fruit in your building a lot of the time. And it doesn't matter who we're talking to. Uh, anywhere in the country, large municipalities, uh, agencies, large sheriff's office, large police departments, federal agencies, I mean, I could go all day long. They're all looking for somewhere to train. They're tired of training at their same facility. Uh, everybody that's been, you know, there for more than a couple of years knows every nook and cranny and doorknob of their training facility. Offer, you know, hey, uh, if you want to use our warehouse, uh, you know, for in between these hours, two to four a.m. when it's closed, you want to come in and train. Uh, maybe we can implement some uh, unified training with some of our employees. Uh, you know, first responders they have to train. It's it's required. It's necessary. They have to document it. Uh, they have to attend. They have to be there. Uh, especially your uh, your special teams, your SWAT teams, SRT things like that. They have to train and they always need somewhere to do that and they need different scenery. Um, and if you have a facility to, uh, to offer that to them, um, again, they're, they're not going to tell you no. And what a great way to build a relationship and have uh, first responders familiar with your with your location and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the crime trends around the area of the store or the warehouse or whatever it is that we're talking about. Um, it's just another great way to, uh, you know, get get a foot in the door. Um, with uh, liaison with a good relationship with uh, first responders. Yeah, you know, Dustin, I, um, it's funny, when I was back in the stores years ago, um, we used to let the, um, the police department, I got to be careful, make sure I don't mention the name, because I'm going to tell you a funny story. Um, the police department in this particular area would come in with canine, and we would let them train in the stores after hours, because the canine units are used to working you know, out in the grass and the backyards and the whatever, but getting them on the different floors, the rugs, the marble um, was very, very funny to watch a police dog run as fast as he could. And he's got his nails up, right? And he's running super fast and super fast. He's not going anywhere because he's used to gripping and running. And then all of a sudden he realizes to put the pads down and that dog takes off like a shot and they're chasing around. They used to come in and plant drugs in the store. They let the dogs go in and they would pick up the drugs. We learned after the first lesson that, um, Maybe next time we let them check the store first and then plant the drugs because at the end of the night when they did their inventory, they had more than they had started with. So um, that was another investigation all in of itself. But I'll tell you, we had some break-ins in that store. We had people stuck in the building. And when those guys had to show up, you know, at two o'clock in the morning and they had to figure out where to go and where these guys could be hiding, they knew the store like the back of their hands. Um, and that was just one easy way to have that partnership. And it, quite frankly, it was a lot of fun too 
you know, to work with these guys and work with the canine and to, to have them come in and be able to do that. And whether it's loss prevention or store managers or anything else that, you know, you get, you empower your people to have those relationships, you know, if they don't have loss prevention, but to have them either stop by for coffee or, or allow them to come in and, and, um, and be part, use the facility for whatever, you know, purpose. Scott, you've got a different setup for your facilities. What do you do with local law enforcement in your areas? You know, I love, Scott's been in a lot of different types of environments too, Scott, and maybe you can give some different perspectives on that. Absolutely, yeah. You know, over the last thirty years, um, been I've unfortunately had to uh, involve myself in a lot of workplace violence events, uh, active threat situations, and you know, the one thing I'll say for certain um, is it's. It, absolutely paramount that the general manager make those relationships with local law enforcement. So I echo everything that everyone just said, but I think it's important also from a preparedness standpoint that management is taught how to identify precipitating events. You know, if you go back and reverse engineer events that happen workplace related um, and a lot of the active shooter events or the, the, the active threats start in the workplace, or they may have a domestic tie with, you know, an employee's husband or, or, whatever the case may be, but that brings a potential threat to all employees in that facility. So identifying precipitating events and, you know, reporting that, that information has to bubble up. And I can tell you, we've got a very comprehensive crisis management plan um, in dealing with pretty much anything that could occur. And we collaborate with other teams on this, but, you know, interviewing is an art form, right? And uh, when you have someone in the facility making a threat, the the reasons that they're making that threat, you cannot control. You cannot control things that go on at the home place and whatnot. But oftentimes, if, if it can be diffused and taken off personnel at the facility just through an interview process and get the person to recognize the wrongs, perhaps resign and go peacefully into the night, that's ideal. I just think that, that those frank discussions on the front end, so managers know what a precipitating event is and how to nip it in the bud initially so it doesn't fester and escalate, further and then bringing in team members from other areas of the organization to help see that through, you know, utilize those field resources, the HQ resources to help, you know, mitigate that threat before it becomes an issue. Very important. Excellent. All right. We're going to move on to our last, uh, our last scenario here. I'm going to give you guys a, we got, got an alert here. We got, uh, we received a call from the regional AP director in Bakerton Regarding an event in process, several persons began complaining of headaches and nausea while passing through the food court area of the property, and a number of individuals have now passed out, causes unknown. So with several properties uh, connected to and located near the epicenter of this event, how would you advise this ROPM to respond in this situation? Tyler, why don't we start with you on this one? Yeah, thanks. Um... Yeah, so, you know, certainly uh, an interesting one that comes in. So, you know, I, I think first and foremost, it, it's about, you know, securing our, our team members and ensuring, you know, their safety. So, you know, I, in case like this, it would be an evacuation of the location, um, getting people out of harm's way, um, you know, just to start to be able to assess, you know, the next pieces. Um, you know, we, we were, certainly would coordinate with our different groups. Um, you know, Hazmat would be a, a big piece. We've got service providers that we would be calling in. Uh, and then coordinating with our law enforcement and, and all of our contacts through those, you know, state those stages, um, just really to get a, a good assessment, you know, to understand, you know, what's what's the environment around there? Um, is, it, is it something that's of, of mass scale? Is this something that's small? You know, we, we don't know. 
Um, but when you start hearing these reports, you know, it's about notifying, you know, our team members to, you know, evacuate the area, um, you know, seek safe area. Uh, you know, it's also about notifying, you know, potential team members that are coming to work, you know, to try to be proactive in notifying them of the situation that's happening to ensure they're not walking into harm's way. Um, you know, and then it's, it's about, you know, trying to get a, a true assessment. Um, but this is one that, that I think would require kind of a, a cross-functional, you know, public-private um, approach to this, you know, not knowing what this, uh, what this, you know, scenario may or may not, you know, turn into. Excellent. Jeff? I think it would, as now here again, it's just my opinion and based on what probably our direction would be, I think it imperative that if we had this type of facility or, you know, food court adjacent to other businesses, so forth and so on, uh, I think it would be imperative, A, for us to know beforehand uh, what are other elements in this geography doing, what is their plan. B, it would be important, uh, absolutely critical to understand what is the um, public sector response, whether it is fire, police, hazmat, whomever. Uh, what, what is their response plan and how does this business or geography fit into that plan? So by extension, we'd be able to tell your employees uh, after the words get out, right, where to go to be serviced or examined or checked on by local responding agencies, that sort of thing. Uh, the communication piece is, you know, an operational piece to tell those to not come to the area. So there's a lot of variables around the communication to employees. Also, the communication to public relations department, media is going to be on the scene. How is that dealt with? That sort of thing. But I think first and foremost, the two things that I would be looking at would be, I should already know how the police will respond, how the fire emergency services, you know, personnel will respond. And then um, that will, that would be able to tell me what internally I need to tell our associates and or customers to do in an abbreviated form. So, uh, and bear in mind, internal SOPs may be great for associates, but your customer may or may not have a, have a freaking clue what your SOP is they're all just going to be running screaming or passing out and, or whatever the case may be. Uh, and you certainly don't want to put your associates in danger because some people will say, Oh, stop and help this person. I don't know. Is that the right thing? I'm not making a judgment. I don't know. Personally, I would tell just like uh, active assailant scenario, you got to get out. We can't tell an associate to potentially take an action that would put them in danger. Right. So it's right. a fine line. You have to evaluate what is appropriate for the circumstances. But well, yeah, you're right. It's tough, right? Because um, you also, you know, you're going to you want to keep people away from the area. But in some of these types of situations, you also need to keep people in the area. Right. Because if it is a hazmat type situation um, and somebody needs to be, you know, you know, if, if they've got something on them that they might take with them and whether that's a, you know, a gas situation or a, an anthrax situation or anything else. Um, they need to go through a hazmat process before they wind up spreading it to other people. Don't you think, Scott? I would certainly agree with that statement, Kevin. Um, you know, speaking to what uh, 
and Jeff just said, it's, it's all about employee safety. I, I think depending on your proximity to the source or where the, uh, the uh, activity uh, seems to have occurred, um, it's, it's reasonable that you'd want to make that command decision on the spot to close that facility or close that, close your doors and, and clearly ask your employees not to, to uh, you know, venture near the food court then in that case. Um, I agree with what the, you know, Tyler said about, you know, reaching out to employees that are coming into work and, and uh, you know, broadcasting. A lot of workplaces utilize, you know, different communication methods, whether it's be, you know, an internal group chat on text or, you know, Slack or, or some other communication portal where they can kind of advise each other. But, you know, I have a tendency to look at things like, what would I want my kids to do? What would I want the employer or my child to, to have their, you know, what is their protocol? If it's in close proximity, you know, you close down the facility, but you always have to partner with your field leadership and in human, uh, excuse me, and your HQ personnel as well. They all have a say in this, but there's nothing in that, in that store worth the, the, uh, the safety of an employee or a customer. Sometimes that's just the quickest, easiest decision right there. Um, your partnerships with mall security, with mall management, um, someone likely is already um, addressing it. The fire department's probably already been notified. Um, but if not, you know, overkill. doesn't hurt to call them and they may, they may tell you, hey, listen, we're already on that, right? And then you look for, for reasonable updates. I think it's a logical approach and, and hopefully there's a resolution within that day. If not, then you're going to partner with the, H, you know, with the HQ team and they're going to make the decisions for that facility based on what they feel is best for the employees. All right, so we do have an update. We've got uh, emergency services are now on location. They're using your parking lot to stage their response. Hazmat protocols are being followed to determine the root cause and attention and is focusing on a trash can in the food court which may be leaking some type of toxic uh, substance. And your RLPM is looking for additional guidance. Tony, Dustin, uh, what, are we, what are we thinking now? You, you guys have been in the emergency response side of this. You know, yeah. uh, you've got resources now showing up on site. What's the process and the protocol? It's sounding more and more like an attack now, uh, which what is that going to do to our first responders and their response time? Uh, they're going to have to don special equipment, uh, PAPR devices, uh, breathing apparatuses. Uh, we can't have first responders running into the area uh, and being affected by the same um, by the same chemical agent, possibly. Uh, we have to treat this like, uh, like the worst case scenario. So we've seen attacks predicated by uh, diversions before. Uh, so we have to think about that. And your first responding teams are gonna be thinking about that uh, but if there is an attack or an attacker or group of attackers, uh, why have they uh, why have they proposed why have they introduced this agent in this way, shape, or form? Uh, are they trying to buy time? We all know that time uh, equals uh, casualties in any type of active uh, attack. So uh, the the main concern is going to be getting a triage area, getting people to that triage area that's safe, that's secured. Uh, and that we can also have a, a, a law enforcement presence um, to make sure that uh, this isn't an active attack. Uh, did somebody just throw something in the trash can that's leaking? We don't know, but we have to think about those response times and now what, what, what it's going to do um, to actually getting people that can help the, the folks that are unconscious in that area uh, the, the, the fastest, the soonest possible. 
So we've got a situation there where we really do have a lot of limited information. It's also a situation where I don't think uh, a whole lot of store managers would be prepared for or expect. What types of questions would you like to see them get answered in that type of situation to help in the company in the decision-making process? Again, our mass communication is going to be key in this. Uh, how, how do we communicate with everyone in the mall? Um, and someone said it earlier. I apologize. I don't remember who, but uh, not only are we, we, we wanting to communicate with our associates, uh, our team, but now we've thrown the factor in, um, you know, children and families and, uh, you know, maybe folks that, uh, you know, can't hear an audible alarm or can't see the screens on the wall displaying the, the exit routes and, and what's going on. So does our mass communication capability um, reach everyone? Can we speak to everyone at the drop of a hat? And uh, a lot of times that's what we need to think about because we, we need to communicate this to everyone uh, in this area, uh, whether they're on our team or not. So um, we really need to think about keeping people out of that area and, and, and letting everybody know in any way, shape, or form uh, what's going on as far as we know it. We don't have all the facts. Just don't go to the food court. Um, you know, this is the exit route. If you're feeling ill, this is the triage area in the parking lot. Uh, see your, your, your closest uh, paramedic uh, and report what's happened to you. We're going to know, we're going to want to know what you've seen, what you've smelled, if you saw any suspicious activity, descriptions of, uh, potential suspects, anything like that. And then uh, along with that is you need to start thinking about reunification locations, because if we don't have that already planned out where we would, you know, our, our parking lot's been taken over and we don't want family members of those individuals that are working to show up on site, possibly get exposed to it and also clog up the, the location even further. So we want to start thinking that's, that's a big piece of a, a lot of people don't really think about a lot is that reunification. And I think one thing to add too is to make sure that as we're trying to gather information, you know, from the local teams is, is we're really trying to get the credible information. You know, I, I think Dustin talked about, you know, getting all the, the different pieces, what you see and all those components, but, but also making sure that our teams don't jump on the rumor mill. Cause I think we've all experienced this before where, where it's the story has gone a hundred different ways only to find out that they were talking to people who weren't even at a scene, but had heard it from somebody else. So I think it's really important to make sure that as we're gathering facts, they're, they're truly facts from credible sources. And a lot of that's going to come from the relationships that we have established with first responders and others, you know, to make sure that, that we are getting what we know is confirmed. And I think it's important to, to react to the confirmed components and make sure if we're if nothing's confirmed, but it's important to us that we dig in a little bit deeper to make sure we can kind of cross some T's and dot some I's. And, and Tyler, and I think that's a great point. Um, one of the challenges, though, is, is you can't even rely on your news sources anymore. You're almost relying on Twitter and Facebook and all these other entities. And it's another good point to have an analyst on hand to, to kind of comb through that for you and try to try to find the, the bits of truth that are out there. And you guys can start putting that information together along with the boots on the ground. Uh, you know, law enforcement officials obviously giving you updates, but a lot of times they don't know. So they're not going to have a lot. But sometimes that information will get leaked through social media, somebody that was in the food court, somebody that was in the store and saw someone passed out. And if you can, you can put those pieces together on your own a little bit, it, it is helpful. I think that's, that's a very good point. Something that we deal with quite a bit is uh, everybody wants to be 
you know, an authority by virtue of their device that they're carrying in their hand. And quite frankly, social media and the regular mainstream media largely get zero stars for any beneficial intelligence when it comes to an emergency scenario. Sorry. So uh, the, the whole rumor mill and unnecessary emotion associated with these media outlets complicates and exacerbates our problem. Whatever that problem may be, hurricane, meteor strike, plague of locusts, whatever, it doesn't matter. So how do you find the facts? That's the question. And so I think the common denominator is really going to be relationships. This really boils down to people and people that have the capacity to separate emotion or half-truth or hearsay from this is what I know. As humans, we tend to have a, uh, a need subconsciously. I need to know every, everything right now. And that's not possible. We have to understand that's not possible and then figure out a process to be able to deal with and separate ourselves from half-truths and that sort of thing. So the relationship piece is key beforehand. And then by extension, our response, we try to make as simple, simplified as possible based on the facts that we have at hand and at least have the flexibility to adapt to it, um, you know, based on whatever circumstances, you know, subsequently follow. The reuni reunification point that was made earlier it's a very big deal. In fact, that's that's one of the larger questions that we ask when we partner with uh, local emergency response entities. They already have a plan for reunification, right? It, it doesn't matter. If it's a public space, they're obliged to have reunification locations identified for mass casualty events. It's just a matter of asking the, the questions um, I mean, obviously, don't meet somebody for the first time and start going off into their reunification plans or you know emergency response programs. But um, it's it's worth just establishing the relationships just to to learn what that variable does in the equation, and you can feed off of that. Sorry, again, sorry, sorry to run off in the weeds. That's just no, no, no. All good, Jeff. All good. Um, I, I think you know one of the comments in our Q and A actually had brought back um, that. Uh, you know, that they see, they've seen a lot of evacuation plans, but no, no area to meet and no plan on what to do after, you know, so obviously, uh, you know, a big piece there. And I think we heard a lot of recurring themes through all of this about, you know, prepare, train, uh, communicate, and be flexible, you know, it sounds, it seems like the kind of the, the overlying theme through, uh, through all of these. Um, I have a final update on that scenario. The gas was a result of cleaning chemicals disposed of improperly either by housekeeping or an employee in the area. These chemicals combined to release a dangerous gas that was the root cause of the disruption and cause of illness. The area has been sanitized and is now safe for re-entry. Well, thank goodness for that. So, um, all right. So I think that's uh, just about going to um, wrap us up for today. Uh, let me uh, share this here. <clears throat> um, so a big thank you to our sponsors for today. Uh, again, please visit and support these, these wonderful folks from Salient, from Axon, from Everbridge, um, and from Defense Light. Um, some great people, some great products, some great companies. Um, thank you so much to the panel today. 
uh, Tony, Dustin, uh, Tyler, Scott, Jeff, um, and my, my partner in crime here, Jack Britton. Jack, thanks for, for co-hosting today. And, and Paul Jones for our, as our backup in case uh, one of us fell flat today. So we thank you uh, as well, Paul. Thank you to the LPF um, for the, uh, the uh, generous uh, education partner opportunity here where we get to uh, provide CEUs to folks um, for attending webinars like this. So thank you very much. Um, again, thank you guys. Appreciate your time today. Appreciate everyone who tuned in. Um, thank you. Stay safe. And uh, we appreciate you. And uh, we hope to see you again soon. Take care. Thanks, guys.